Hello and welcome to the Aruka Network podcast with me, Jake Lloyd. In this episode, we're going to hear how one man's interest in birds led to the country of Lebanon resurrecting an ancient approach to community-based conservation. The first time I had a binocular to my eye, I fell in love with birds. <laughs> it's a beautiful way to explain about nature and people for that matter. That was the voice of Assad Serhel from the Society for the Protection of Nature in Lebanon, or SPML. Lebanon is a popular stop-off destination for a number of migrating birds as they travel between Europe and Asia and Africa. And Assad began his career simply trying to protect the places that these birds visited. But ultimately, this endeavour turned into something much bigger as he brought community and nature together through something called a HEMA, H-I-M-A. So firstly, here's the story of HEMA. One and a half thousand years ago, the Arabian Desert, in what we now call the Middle East, was home to nomadic tribes who frequently came into conflict with each other. And in this harsh environment, a hema, which in Arabic means protected area, became a place of peace and cooperation for everyone. In a hema, conflict was forbidden and scarce natural resources were carefully and collectively managed for the good of both people and the natural world. And when the religion of Islam adopted this idea of hema, this communal management of the natural world took hold in the Middle East region as a whole. And it was only in the early part of the 20th century that it began to disappear. But now, Assad and his organisation are helping to bring it back. And so I'm going to play you the interview with Assad now, and you'll notice as it goes on that this Hemmer approach is having more and more of an impact. But the first thing I asked Assad was how he got the idea for bringing back Hemmer. The idea came when I was faced with the challenge of establishing the first nature reserve in the country in '96. I was hired to do a job with the United Nations Development Programme and the Ministry of Environment and the Shuf Cedar Society to start the model Shuf Cedar Reserve. It's covering about 6% of the country. And the uh, idea was to start the nature reserve the way I was trained to do things in the West from my education at Oklahoma State University and working with the IUCN and BirdLife International. And uh, for the people that they don't know this small country, Lebanon, it's on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean. And it's a very small country, but very high in biodiversity. And um, high also with the population of the people uh, living in it. And uh, that puts a big uh, pressure on the use of the natural resources. And with that background on a crossroad between Europe, Africa and Asia, that have been inhabited for uh, since ever. And some of the cities like Biblos or others in Lebanon have been uh, inhabited and, and, and the natural resources being used constantly for the last uh, 10,000 years. That changed nature the way it's visioned in some European or uh, in North America, if you like, where there's no more wilderness areas. The nature of the landscape is shaped by human intervention and use of resources. And hence, when I started the doing theory, if you like, of a nature reserve, Western-style uh, system, 
implemented in the Middle East. I was faced by the fact how many people are living in harmony with nature, especially in the rural areas in high mountain, and they use uh, resources sustainably for such a long time, and the wildlife still existing and survived and adapted to this Mediterranean ecosystem. And I realized very quickly that removing the people and the various traditional practices they do in the nature or taking their livestock out of the protected areas have a very negative effect on the main aim of conserving biodiversity and nature. And hence, I had to deal with the people directly in my communities in the Shuf uh, Cedar Reserve, in the uh, western slopes facing the Mediterranean, and another 11 communities in the eastern slopes facing the Rift Valley and Mount Hermon. So uh, people are part of the mosaic of uh, the, they live uh, with this uh, wildlife and nature. Everything is interlinked and culture and nature are two sides of the same coin. So I wasn't prepared actually socially and economically with my education back then to deal with the people and their aspirations and their uh, uh, socioeconomic realities. I was prepared to deal with wildlife. That's my education. So quickly I realized if this model for the country have to work and to conserve nature and birds and wildlife and the cedars that were endangered back then, which are the emblem of Lebanon uh, flag and our pride and joy in Lebanon, I had to deal with the communities. I have to listen to their problems and challenges. And I have to come with the solutions with the people I'm working with at the Shuf Cedar Society. And hence, doing the research and finding out about our history and our culture, I found about the Hema. And I said, whoa, wait a minute here. This is a system that worked for over 1,500 years. And it's still in the memory of the elderly people because it became a way of life. And since it protects nature and also provides for the people needs and people joy and pride in their hemas, I might as well try to dwell into it. And hence, this brought me into this with my work now with the Society for Protection of Nature, SPNL. How have you gone about mobilizing the community? How have you, how have you motivated them to get involved in HEMA? Straight after finishing my project with the UNDP uh, Ministry of Environment at the Shuf uh, Cedar Reserve in 2001, I uh, got to start working with the SPNL and we decided to uh, change the vision uh, of uh, the way we used to do in 84 and uh, what we've learned uh, from the Shuf uh, Cedar Reserve experience that uh, we have a HEMA and let's see with like-minded organization, what we can do to revive it. So we were in different missions to Saudi Arabia, to the Gulf, to Syria, Jordan, uh, then Yemen, having workshops with the uh, BirdLife International. Uh, and I think the uh, test on the ground that we started with was in southern Lebanon, in a village called uh, Iblissaki. It's on the Hasbani River. and uh, on the old maps, it showed clearly that they had a hema, like uh, most villages in the country. Uh, if it's Duruz, uh, Christian, Muslim, it didn't matter, uh, because they, uh, historically, 
it seems like uh, it was really created the Hema from the uh, Gulf uh, over 1500 years ago with the tribes, but it spread uh, to the uh, Near East and to Africa. And it was adopted by communities uh, as a way to use the resources sustainably, but in a very equitable uh, way that involves uh, men and women and have all these different values that the different religions had uh, back then and have changed it from a tribal system that benefit and governance are decided by the tribal chiefs back then into a a more equitable uh, for the public good, if you like, holistic approach uh, that have to do with the orphans. For that matter, uh, what intrigued me very much was the story they had back then, uh, different types of uh, hamas, and one of them was having hamas for the uh, old camels and uh, mules and horses that served people back then, and they wanted to have special hamas for them where they can die in peace. So they're not neglected, they are recognized for the good work they've done. So in, in, in the Hema approach, they had this uh, human nature, uh, domestic animals, wildlife, if you like, holistic approach. And it had these principles and values that really uh, made me change the way of thinking and changed me for good. And for that matter, it helped us change us in the uh, SPNL and the way do business for the protection of nature. And the first test was in Eblissaki. And uh, once that one project was uh, launched, it kind of like uh, had uh, this uh, butterfly effect that now uh, we are talking about after 12 years of that. First Hema, we have 21 Hemas in Lebanon, 30 Hemas in Jordan. We had a Hema uh, fund in Qatar. We discussing uh, Hema for the Gulf states and uh, other parts of the region. And the amazing thing was that it helped us finally find a local vision, a local approach that works to protect the Western system of important bird areas or key biodiversity areas. So if you like, a link between science and art and the culture of doing things tailored for the local circumstances. You've had to form all sorts of partnerships. Like you say there, it it involves local people, uh, Hema, but it also requires... Uh, the local council to get involved, and also the government. How have you gone about forming all these different partnerships? I realized uh, if we were not uh, being successful in this region of the world, the Middle East, to conserve the uh, Ramsar sites or the biosphere reserves or the nature reserves or the important bird areas or key biodiversity areas for a very simple reason that uh, there was a missing link between the locals where these protected areas or the key biodiversity areas are and the decision makers, if it is in the country, in the central government, if it is the Ministry of Environment or Agriculture that deals with it, or the international organizations working tirelessly and putting human and financial resources to try to conserve these sites because they are of international importance. The missing link was that the local people that used for millennium to uh, manage these uh, landscapes and important bird areas, if you like, or high biodiversity areas or hotspots, they were isolated in the decision-making and the governance in our part of the world. And they had no saying 
in the management of these resources. And hence, that's why the 400 important bird areas identified by BirdLife International in the Middle East were not uh, being put into conservation. They stayed like important bird areas on paper. And uh, I realized that if we are to conserve these sites for Lebanon and the world, we have to involve the local communities and for that matter, the local authorities. And in addition to the governance that we have to take care and the needed policies and uh, legislations to do that, we needed also to involve the communal land that have been neglected. And because of that neglection, it led to the uh, tragedy of the commons, where the local people that they uh, conserve these sites as a way of life because of their own economic and social benefits had or were isolated and not uh, having that uh, way of doing uh, the management of these sites. If we ever, we need them to come back and protect these sites, we need to give them that pride and give them those benefits uh, of managing these areas. And that's what uh, really made the change. But I'm curious as to how you start. Would you go into a, a village or a town and hold a hold a town meeting or something exactly. like that? Yeah. Like in Eblisaki, the first thing I did, that was from my experience from the Shuf, is I asked the mayor, after explaining to him the importance of this area after I visited it, uh, for the flyway, it's on the flyway for uh, second most important flyway on earth for the migrating soaring birds. And this is something they, they've seen, but they didn't know how important it is globally. They've seen the migrating uh, the cranes between Hula and the Black Sea or the storks in, in millions over the site, but they never realized that this is a very special, important site on planet Earth. And uh, for that matter, they were intrigued and they said, what, what we can do about it? Then I explained to them about the Hama. They said, whoa, yeah, we, it was a Hama in the past, but uh, it was neglected. And what we can do about it? And uh, I hold a meeting with the people of the village and the municipality and the church of the village. And with SPNL team, I explained to them the importance uh, of the Hama, why it should be revived and uh, snowballed very quickly. Everybody adapted into it. They, especially the elderly, they made the link very quickly and they, you know, uh, invited people from the city to do bird watching festivals up there and the, everybody was excited about it. So yes, depends on the town and the community in it. A town meeting in a church or a mosque or a club or a NGO depending on the village, because Lebanon is very diversified, have 18 different sects of religions in a very small place. And uh, each community do their thing differently, but at least all of them agree on the Hema approach and its importance. What do you think motivates most of these people to get involved? Is it the, is it the love of birds and nature, or is it the ability it gives them to have a say over how their land is managed, or is it their faith? Or is it responding to climate change? Like, what what are the it's, primary motivations for people, do you think? It's basically ownership and pride. Mm. You give them back the ownership to the local community, uh, which uh, for uh, almost uh, 60, 80 uh, years, they've been uh, taken away from them. And this is, decision is making somewhere in central government. And it's not theirs anymore. So they lost with that ownership, the pride of protected their own culture and heritage. 
So once uh, you bring back the hima, it brings back that memory and that ownership and the benefits that comes with it. So when when were their last hemas in Lebanon and why did they disappear? I think uh, the from what I read and what I understand now is that uh, when the World War One and Two happened and the change uh, geopolitical in the region and the separation between different countries and the borders and all that started, that uh, kind of like killed it once and for all. But it started long before that, uh, really, I think, during the different invasions we had from the Ottoman times and the way uh, taxation was done on private land and the communal land, that was uh, the way it was managed and all that. So it goes back uh, way, way back, yes. So you've talked a bit there about setting up a hammer and getting people involved. Then how does uh, decision-making take place from there and how, how do different people get involved? And then... Also, how do they stay informed about nature and these migratory routes in order to inform their decision-making? Exactly. It's HEMA, the way we do the HEMA decision, if you like, as SPNL with the local community represented by the board, elected board, the municipality, because the system we have here in Lebanon each village have its own elected municipality representing the different families in a village. And those elected in the municipality, they uh, have the rights, according to the Lebanese law, to manage their uh, communal land. And hence, uh, the decision made by, between SPNL and the municipality to uh, set HEMA decision and to uh, try to develop together a management plan and to train a management team from the village. We call them Humat al-Hima, and that's another word in Arabic that's very strong. It means the nature heroes, the Hima heroes. And this is something they really feel proud of when you tell somebody from village, you are a Hami al-Hima. This is a word that over uh, 1,500 years old that everybody takes pride of, as if you're telling somebody you are uh, a Superman or a Batman in the West nature guardian or someone like that mm-hmm. in the Europe or a custodian of the land or someone like that. So we train uh, young females and males from each village on various things that goes uh, all the way from social media to bird watching to uh, depends on the situation and their interest and the what the village provides and what the needs. Uh, sometimes we teach them how to develop projects or uh, take people to nature as uh, trained guides or what have you. So we have a system now uh, of capacity building for Humat al-Hima in each village, where once we claim with the municipality a decision to protect the land, we right away start uh, identifying the interested young people in the village and find out what are their needs and hopefully try to train them. So they take over the management with the municipality and replace SPNL presence, and uh, then they take uh, over the uh, governance and the land use and the implementation of the management plan. Now, of course, uh, the backstopping from SPNL and BirdLife and all the different organizations that we are partner or represent in Lebanon, and for that matter, the various ministries, like the Ministry of Tourism or Agriculture or Environment, we keep them involved in our work in a partnership 
So if you like, HEMA approach, the way we revive it in Lebanon, it, it's built on partnership of all different stakeholders that goes all the way from the international arena to the young person in the village, including governments, NGOs, uh, not only people or organizations interested in nature, but in socioeconomic sectors. So if you like mainstreaming uh, the HEMA into the different uh, sectors in the society, so it is adopted legally on the national level. And because of that, I'm happy to tell you that now we have, as we speak, a new law being uh, adopted by the Lebanese government and the Ministry of Environment and is transferred now to the House of Parliament to be the HEMA adopted in the new country system as a protected area in addition to the national park, national monument and nature reserves. So it's the fourth system uh, or category of protected areas in the system being adopted in Lebanon. That is in addition to uh, maybe for the first time in our region, in the Middle East and the Arab world, that uh, we have been able to give back something to the international community worldwide because we have been only translating from Europe and America and the West the uh, amazing uh, discoveries about nature conservation and the science and the art of doing it. But uh, nothing uh, was given back from our region, but uh, very proud to say that the HEMA is now adopted by IUCN in Resolution uh, 122 in Jiju as a way to involve local communities. And this is a proposal was done by SPNL, this small NGO with Norway uh, as a country. And uh, also uh, BirdLife International adopted it as a way to conserve important bird areas in the Middle East. That's a huge achievement. Well done. Thanks. <laughs> you mentioned national parks there. What are the what's the main difference between HEMA and a national park? Is it is it simply the community involvement in, in managing it? Yes. The the proposed now national park, national monument and HEMA to the new law uh, now being uh, passed at the House of Parliament is an addition to the law we had, which was only for one category, which is the nature reserve, as defined by the World Conservation Union, IUCN. We are following the same international system, if you like, in the country as a Ministry of Environment. But we only had, out of the six categories that uh, IUCN adopts globally, we had one only in Lebanon, which is the nature reserve. But now we have four different categories. Three of them, uh, one of them is a national park that involves several villages and, and communities involved in nature conservation and what have you, where nature reserve is uh, totally to conserve biodiversity, no human intervention or human use. So in a way, if you like, the Hema is the Arabic <laughs> translation for the, the national park or biosphere reserve uh, with an Arabic name. It means involving the people uh, in the use and uh, of resources and in the management and the governance of the land. But it is focused on communal land in Lebanon so far. So the way we've tailored it in Lebanon, that nature reserves and national parks are being done by the government of Lebanon on government lands, while the Hema answers to communities on communal land and maybe on private land later.
because there's a demand for that now. If I were to visit a Hema, what kind of things would I notice that are different uh, compared to places that aren't Hema? The uh, way the uh, policy is being developed, uh, developed since uh, Hema is being taken by the local community uh, is being translated on the ground. Before uh, the Hema, what uh, the use was is uh, they give it to a quarry to extract rocks or something or do whatever, you know, something like that that's only economically driven uh, with no concern for the sustainability of the site and the natural resources and wildlife. Mm. But when the Hema is done as a policy and it's signed by the community, it means they are now obliged and they are committing to doing uh, what we call a zonation plan. And uh, certain practices are allowed and certain uses are uh, allowed or not allowed, uh, which are uh, compatible with the nature conservation, but also could provide some income generating activities to the uh, community. So for example, in some of the Hamas, uh, the decision is because it's an important bird areas, hunting is not allowed. Mm-hmm. And that's a, another decision will be taken by community. In some Hamas, hunting might or fishing might be allowed, but with certain ex- restrictions, like you can use it with the artisanal fishing, or you can't use dynamite the way you use, or you can't uh, shoot birds out, outside the hunting season, or uh, you can't shoot uh, uh, other than uh, game birds, etc. So a zonation plan is developed and a management plan according to that based on scientific research so when you enter a HEMA, it depends how advanced the HEMA is in its implementation stage, uh, and you will feel it in Lebanon from one HEMA to another, uh, that in some HEMAs you find local guides now that can take you and explain to you about the nature, why they're trying to conserve it, and they have uh, in the zonation plan, they have uh, sites that are core for conservation of certain species, and some are for the use by agriculture or fishing or whatever. Uh, you find a visitor center that you can get some information or you can rent a canoe or a bicycle to do a, a field trip with a local guide or without. So, yeah, you'll feel uh, a big difference. What's the hardest thing about about your work? Our uh, hardest thing is uh, mainly two. There's a number of other challenges, of course. That one uh, being in the Middle East and uh, you're always uh, facing setbacks because of things beyond your control uh, as an uh, NGO or municipality or for that matter the government, uh, which is war. Mm. Since my childhood I was faced with, you know, every few years you're faced with a major war that uh, not only destroys the nature and the buildings, but it seems like destroys people's dreams and uh, good work being done, then you always have to go beyond uh, zero (laughs) to start again and uh, rise and try to motivate yourself and others that uh, maybe peace will come. And uh, here I would like to mention another very strong element in the Hema, that uh, it was first and from its early birth uh, stage, uh, the Hema was created for peace. And not much people talk about that. The Hema idea is to uh, help in social cohesion, 
conflict resolution and uh, raising the conflicts between uh, different uh, religions and different nations and different people. And for that, it was the first Hema created by Abraham, if you like, in Mecca. Mm. And then uh, Muhammad, in, uh, after that, long time after that, in uh, Medina, and the valleys and the mountains that connect them, that they should be areas with a buffer zone, not only protected areas for people, a neutral ground where people could meet uh, in peace without weapons, because you understand back then in the desert, it was tribal feuds and the people, uh, it used to be scary to move uh, outside your hema. And so they had to have some hemas for peace where people could come and they could meet each other, understand each other, and uh, hopefully have some peace. And that was Ashur al-Hurum. That comes from also the same concept and still being practiced till now that people should enter only with white clothes, with no guns or no fights. And they have to resolve any conflicts they have against each other. Otherwise, their pilgrimage is not accepted. So that's a very strong thing now we need nowadays between these conflicting countries, not only for the migrating birds, which is very important that they don't realize this political border, but also for the people across the borders that never, never seems find the, the neutral grounds in our part of the world to understand each other and the different religions they come from or different cultures they, they, they respect and they abide with, that it all calls for uh, the respect of each other and the respect of the gift of life we have and provided by the land, by the air, by the we breathe and the water we drink and the wildlife we share this planet Earth with. And it's about time to have such a peace treaty and revival of the Hema and people to respect that instead of these wars that destroying the way of life, the way we know it for us and for wildlife. So, uh, yes, this is a very strong statement, and I believe in it very much. And I think the way to go about it uh, as a major challenge is uh, to keep the vision alive through the Humat al-Hama, through the young, uh, telling them that there's going to be tomorrow, and nature will prevail, and the good nature of human beings, the way it was uh, with peace and the respect, that the Christianity brings to uh, Christian communities, uh, respect of the other and the love and peace, it brings the message, it brings with it. And the uh, uh, Hema, when they say humanity should be partners in the three, the uh, water and the food and the energy, uh, and they should be used in a sustainable way, I see there's lots of common ground and the Hema do that. So Lebanon's a very multi-religious, um, multicultural place. Have you seen Hema bring people of different faiths together then? Oh yes sir, of course. And this is uh, the amazing thing about it that in one of the Hemas, I'll uh, name here uh, Hema Anjar and Hema Kfarzabad, that they are neighboring communities and villages in the central Bekaa Valley, they share uh, a wetland important for birds and we realized that uh, it is very important for the endangered Syrian serene and the river otter and other wildlife. And it's a very endangered wetland and very scarce as wetlands, as you know, in the Middle East. So hence it's important for uh, migrating birds all over the world. And, uh, but still these two neighboring villages, they share this 
uh, wealth, this uh, wetland, but they never worked together, ever. And the only time probably they had a common project was when we established the Hema in their community in 2005. Wow. And that was an amazing thing to see it happening, sharing the resources, the food, the dances, the festivals, the bird watching uh, events we've done. And since then, they're working together, they plant the trees, they work in the Hema together, they protect the water and the wildlife, etc. Uh, the trend usually, when you start a nature reserve or a protected area, especially in our part of the world, in the Middle East and North Africa, because people are alienated, this was the first thing they try to burn or vandalize when the law and order uh, is lost, like what happened in the Arab Spring. The first thing that people did in Tunisia and in uh, Algeria and the Egypt and others in the Middle East, they burned the protected area because mm. they think it's not theirs. It's for somebody else. It's for the government. It's somebody in the city. And uh, because of that, they don't have the ownership. They don't have the love. They don't have the respect or the pride. While uh, when we did the Hema, that was, by the way, the second Hema we did, the wetland of Kfarzabad, it took, uh, which is, uh, by the way, a, a, a mixture Christian-Muslim community. It took another five years for the neighboring commu community, which is purely Christian community, Armenian, to accept us first as SPNL to work in their community. And we've been working since then, 2005, 2006. And not only that, they started working with the neighboring Lebanese community, which is a mixture Christian-Muslim community. And they shared the resources and what have you. So uh, that was a strange thing, you know, to happen in our part of the world. Not only they protecting a hema of their neighbors, but now they are connecting to it. If you like a transboundary hema uh, within uh, different villages and communities, and my hope one day, and I was almost uh, succeeded in doing a transboundary hema between Lebanon and Syria before the war erupted in 2011, where uh, SPNL and the Syrian Society for Life Conservation, we decided to do a transboundary hema across anti-Lebanon, where the previous war was happening. But unfortunately, the war was much faster than us. And the project had to stop from the Syrian side, but we convinced CEPF and uh, BirdLife International that uh, we can work from the Lebanese side uh, of the same mountain that separates Lebanon from Syria. And we worked and we established what we call uh, Hema Feka. And it's a northern, uh, in the northern Bekaa Valley of the people that knows the Rift Valley. It's the start of the Badia region. Uh, that opens the gate uh, for the Badia all the way to Arabia. It starts there, uh, and it's a very special area that attracts uh, semi-desert vegetation and wildlife. And um, uh, we've been able to establish Hemafekha, and uh, with the community, we now uh, uh, published the Hemafekha guidebook. It's in our website, spnl.org. And uh, we proved that uh, because of the transhumans and the uh, goats and sheep that uh, travel between Syria and uh, Lebanon across this uh, area, 
even though it's semi-desert, it turned out to be one of the richest for biodiversity of the because of the Hema system. Mm. Identified and drawn and published 1,680 plants that in a very dry region that gets about 200 millimeter of rain. Mm-hmm. And this kind of like it changed even the way we look at that region as scientists and ecologists, that not necessarily grazing and the Hema system is bad as some have uh, thought in the past for the uh, plants and the wildlife. In the contrary, uh, we found out that without these uh, transhumans and this cultural way of doing things as a Hema, uh, nature will be very uh, mono and it will be destroyed and the biodiversity will go extinct. While we still do those practices, cultural practices, uh, as the Hema, we can have a very high biodiversity. And so we saved 2% of the Lebanese territory in the Hema. That extends all the way from the anti-Lebanon to the Rift Valley to Mount Lebanon. And uh, our hope is still there and uh, our Syrian partner that as soon as we can have uh, peace and peace prevails, that we'll continue the work all the way to the Syrian territory across uh, the Hema from Lebanon. And we have the maps now, at least, and we are doing trainings together every once and then uh, with BirdLife. And um, we can, uh, even now, if we are given the opportunity to train some Syrians that they have fled the war and came to that region, uh, train them as Humat Hema, so they can do it themselves when they go back to their village, mm-hmm. where they could be uh, building their skills and they, uh, to manage uh, such Hema and uh, such resources and their livelihood, for that matter. I find it really interesting that at the beginning of all this, it seems to be your your love of birds. Do you want to just, just yes. tell me how you became excited or passionate about birds? Well, you'll be surprised, like uh, many of our uh, listeners now, that uh, like most Lebanese uh, male, uh, I got my first gun when I was about uh, nine years old. And uh, that's the culture here. You start as a hunter and you go hunting trips on the field and then, you know, you don't realize what you're doing, I guess. Is that for food or just for sports? Well, it's a sport. It's a hobby. It's a manly thing. Males do it. And uh, it's a shame, really, the way the young uh, are raised. Uh, It's a way of uh, we, we raised, I guess, in this part of the world. And I guess the war have to do with it because the presence of guns and you have to be ready for wars any time since ever. It's a very complicated issue. But anyway, that's how I started as a hunter. And uh, when I went to the States and uh, I knew about the wildlife conservation and the national parks and the, all the wonderful things they do there and in Europe, I was lucky to be exposed to this, and uh, the first time I had a binocular to my eye, I fell in love with birds. <laughs> I realized that they are like little babies. Mm. They have emotions too, you know, and that really touched me. And since then, I started learning more about them and writing about them, publishing books, doing films and doing nature reserves and stuff like that. And that was translated to my wife and to my two sons, too, and to the community I work with, with BirdLife, and the protected areas where I work. And amazing enough, it never fails when people uh, put that binocular and hold, hold the field guide and they learn about them. 
because they are everywhere and they're pretty, they're smart, they're fantastic, they're amazing. <laughs> it's a beautiful way to enter to explain about nature and uh, and people for that matter. Um, for that, I'm also thankful for BedLife International that I've been with uh, since I was in college. And uh, they also work as a partners in 120 countries all over the world and they share the same vision multicultural, the people from different backgrounds, uh, for the love of bird, but for the bigger picture, as nature indicators, they are everywhere and they never fail to fascinate us. So yes, uh, they're amazing uh, animals like other species, I guess. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. and if, if people listening to this want to better protect the places they live for the benefit of nature, where do you think's the best place to start? I guess it starts from home, you know, from the garden where you are, from your land, from your village, for the things that you value most, you know. Uh, You can see, this is also amazing about birds, because you can see them on your balcony, and if you just take the time to really observe them and to see how they raise their family, how they live in a very sustainable way, if you uh, uh, hold that binocular and watch them, how they migrate, and you see the films about them, and the uh, miracle of migration is really a fascinating thing and i think that's a good start and uh, see how you can volunteer and work with your community for a better life really for you for your community for your neighbors for your neighboring country for that matter because it helps take all these preconceived ideas that we have of the others this is black this is white this is muslim this is christian this is and that that uh, politics uh, try to embed in our uh, brains since our uh, early age. Uh, So, you know, when you see all these different colorful birds coming from all over the earth, flying from one region to another and doing good wherever they go, they're very inspiring. And we can be the same as uh, Homo sapiens, you know, we can. Uh, There is faith and there is hope and the Hema brings this. And I advise everybody to do it if it's called Hema, or it's called Guruk, like they call it in uh, Iran, or they call it uh, Agdal uh, in uh, North Africa, or uh, they call it uh, Dessas in uh, Spain or Portugal. Uh, in fact, we have a, a model project now based on what we are talking and uh, the resolutions we took and others for the community-based conservation. And thanks to MAVA, we are doing now a model project, but for the med- Mediterranean now. Uh, one in uh, the islands and the mountains in the uh, Greece, and one in uh, uh, Morocco, and one in the Dahsas between Spain and Portugal, uh, and one for the uh, Hema between the Shouf Cedar Reserve that we started 20, 30 years ago, but now connecting it uh, with the Hemas in the West Bekaa Valley, that is the in the Rift Valley. So now we're connecting communities that we started to nature uh, 30 years ago in the Cedar Reserve. So these uh, four models being funded now in a project they can learn about on uh, MAVA website or on SPNL website that uh, four different communities from uh, four different regions of the Mediterranean, from the east, from the north, from the west, from the south, working together on the same community-based approach to see how we can also uh, connect uh, through landscape, uh, different landscape, different communities, different religions, different backgrounds, different countries, 
uh, but uh, be the traditional way of doing things can help biodiversity. And in my idea, it will help this troubled Mediterranean region with all these uh, troubles we have in of the people migrating if it's uh, running from war or for economic reasons. So yes, we, you can start from wherever you are, call it whatever you want to call it, Hama, Agdal, Gorok, Dahsas. Start from with your community and expand to your neighbor uh, because we are all uh, connected. Doesn't matter where we come from. We're going to be drinking the same water and uh, smelling and breathing the same air and hopefully uh, using sustainably the same natural resources that can help your granddaughter, like uh, hopefully help my uh, sons and my grandsons to have this wonderful experience uh, that we have. That's great. Thank you, Assad. It's my pleasure. So that was Assad from SPNL. And if you'd like to learn more about Assad and his work, then you can visit their website. It's spnl.org. And that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As a as a big bird watcher, um, I have to admit this has been a particularly fun episode for me. Um, I'm off now to fill up my bird feeder. Perhaps you might be doing the same. But until next time, bye for now. <laughs>